Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eighth wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Very excited about the Sun Belt. We started the Sun Belt uh, back in '76, and I'm I'm very proud of what has transpired through the years. You know, while other conferences have been breaking up, our conference has become stronger. Edit that out, Dusty. Well, you know, we're, we're getting better. You know, I think the Sun Belts, I've been a part of it for a long time. I think the Sun Belts really good. I just don't think there's any easy games. And so, uh, you know, you just got to keep trying to get better every game. And um, I, I, I think you just got to take it one game at a time. I think you got to try to get on a run and stack some wins together. Um, we've struggled in our last five and that we've lost some heartbreakers. Um, we we got to start stacking some wins together. To, you know, for a seed in that tournament where I think we could be a really dangerous team if we're healthy and playing the right way. There's the words from UTA head coach Greg Young saying they have to be playing well, playing healthy down the stretch as the second half of Sunbelt basketball begins. Welcome into another Funbelt podcast. This is Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report. Joining me is Jeremy Harper from HowRazor.com. Jeremy, how goes as we get ready for the second half of basketball season well you know that that's a good quote from UTA but it seems like it could apply to every single team I was I was looking at the standings Dusty Thibodeau and I've projected that maybe 83 percent of the Sun Belt could win the Sun Belt tournament and go on to the NCAA tournament this year are you implying there's some teams already mathematically eliminated from ever Uh, being able to compete I think there are two teams that don't quite cut the mustard. And, and and those teams are? Well, one's Little Rock. And I'll tell you why. I, I, I don't feel like they just have enough bodies. I was watching them play uh, Appalachian State. They gave the Mountaineers a pretty good run. They just didn't have enough guys. You know, they couldn't get guys off the bench to be productive. They just didn't have it there. So I, I just don't think UA Little Rock has, 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 the, uh, has the juice to do much uh, in the tournament. And the other team, I hate to say this, Dusty. I'm a little worried about your Warhawks, man. We'll be fine. We're like a phoenix. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with you, Warhawks. You, you've got some dudes. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> we saw it this weekend against Georgia Southern even. You finally get all the players back from COVID. Yeah. And then Gonzalez goes out with a knee injury because he banged knees with uh, one of the Eagles players. 
Yeah. So they're back to having no point guard. It's one thing after another. Uh, and, and like I said last week in, in the podcast, we always talk about uh, the curse of Chief Brave Spirit, the yeah. former Indian mascot there of ULM, and yeah. how he just seems to to curse and, and, and hate the Warhawks. Uh-huh. Um, I think he's still pissed. And, and he is uh, letting the vengeance be known. You know who I came away really impressed with? during this weekend of basketball? The fact that I went to Texas State? No, I came away really impressed with Appalachian State. But here's the deal. Yeah? Name a Mountaineer player, Jeremy. Uh, Justin Forrest. You're doing better than me. I couldn't have even done that for you. Oh, that's because I just, we just, the Red Wolves just played them. You're also a lot faster at Google typing. <laughs> no, here's the thing about, and, and they've got this guy named Delph, who's, who's one of the leading scorers. Although A-State did a pretty good job with neutralizing him. You know that commercial where it's the fisherman and he's got like a dollar bill on the end of his line and he's taunting the lady in the purse store about getting the dollar bill. Yeah. And he says like things like, oh, so close, so close. Yeah. You know, Got to be quicker than that. That's kind of how the Appalachian State basketball team plays. It's like you get to a point where you finally kind of crack the defense a little bit and you start picking up steam and it looks like your team is maybe going to take the lead. You can just kind of feel it. And then suddenly like this Justin Force or this Delph guy or, or any one of their bigs that they have down there will put up a dunk or a three pointer. And then suddenly you're just down by six again. And then you got to contend with this stifling efficient Discipline defense that you just can't penetrate. And I saw it happen with the Red Wolves. And uh, then I saw it again with UA Little Rock. Now, UA Little Rock, they played a good game. They would get close. It looked like they were coming up. You know, the crowd was kind of shifting a little bit in their seats. And then Forrest would nail a three-pointer. Or, or, or somebody would come in with a big steal or a, a turnover. It's just that's just kind of how they play. It's like they almost play with minimal, with like sort of minimum effort to win. They're just going to say, "All right, we're going to put up just enough points to beat you." Yeah, and they're doing it. Yeah, they swept the Arkansas schools this past weekend. Yeah, beating Arkansas State, beating Arkansas Little Rock. Yeah, despite the man, the myth, the legend of Norchad O'Meara having his ninth straight double double. Yeah, he had two double doubles over the weekend, but. Against Appalachian State, he had, like, the most limited double-double you can have. Ten rebounds, 11 points. And that last rebound was uh, kind of a trash rebound there in the last seconds of the game. It's sort of a bonus rebound. like a bone that was tossed. North Chad O'Meara. But give credit to Appalachian State. Yes, do they have superstars on that team? Maybe they should. They don't seem like it, but maybe they should have superstars. The crowd there was outstanding. Something like 3,000 uh, fans per game. Hand it to Appalachian State. You know, I, 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 I would call them the Sun Belt tournament winners from last year, almost like sort of a sneer. But these guys could really win the Sun Belt title outright. And it, it, it would be very hard for anyone else to kind of keep up with them. They've played more games than anyone. Eight and two right now. And even on the women's side, sitting at five and one. I think it's a head scratcher. They're dominating the hardwood on both sides. It's sneaky. You know, you, you always talk about Georgia State. You always talk about the Cajuns. You always talk about 
South Alabama, but it's really Appalachian State who's who's bringing it on. And and as little as we know about App State, yeah. we have somebody that can break it down for us. He covers App State Ooh. for App State Sports Network. That is oh. our buddy Jacob who is joining us. Welcome <laughs> in there, Jacob. Tell, tell us, what is the deal with these Mountaineers that nobody's talking about, but everybody should? First of all, I just want to make sure it's known. I'm, I'm not part of App State. I do this for myself and stuff. So I just want to get that clear. I don't want to get App State calling me like, you stop saying I'm not affiliated with App. App State, golly bum, I'm surprised. Let's just say that. Um, Wayne, after we won the Sunbelt Tower last year, which no App fan ever thought we would do, I was like, okay, that maybe would just been lucky. We played our non-conference schedule, but we played some of the toughest teams, Duke, UNC, Vermont, all these schools you hear of. And we have one of the toughest schedules, non-conference schedules in the Sun Belt. We come into Sun Belt play. We lose to Louisiana. I'm like, okay. Then we come back and we start just, demol- not demolishing, but our defense, our offense, just every game is getting better, better, better. Our defense, and I'm going to say, I have a nice, strongly, strongly believe this is true we have one of the best most physical defenses in the Sun Belt we will we play up tight up their face we can double team and just like you were talking about Arkansas State and Little Rock two of their bigs download that scored the most points in double doubles App State held them to minimal their defense pretty much sealed them from having if those two players that were playing for one for Arkansas State one Little Rock were active, one of the best players, and like we're able to do it. But App State's defense shut them down, and that's what kind of like when we come so close, close, we just have daggers. We just come back, we just don't stop. Texas State and UTA Arlington away are going to be our two toughest tests, and if we can beat them both, I feel confident saying we can win the tournament. You know, winning games on the road is 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 the tough thing to do in the Sun Belt. And having to face Texas State and UTA, which at times has played really well, will be a great test. Dusty, he keeps kind of pretending that he never gave any credence to Appalachian State. But of the three of us on this show, Dusty has always been the one that has said, well, what about Appalachian State? And, and we kind of go, oh, you know, you know, they're the defending champions, but are they really in position to do much? Uh, and Dusty always seemed to have an understanding that there was something about Appalachian State that was going to be good. And seeing them, in, not in person, but on t- finally seeing them in action on TV against the Red Wolves really did tell me uh, what kind of team it is. Tell me, what do, you, what, what do you think is the defensive philosophy that's driving Appalachian State that makes them – I mean, what right now I think they're, they're, they, they're holding – not just the fewest, their opponents to the fewest points in the Sun Belt, but they're, I believe they're in the top 25 for fewest points in the NCAA. What is it about them specifically in your mind that drives that defense? Great question. Our defense is just, what drives them is Coach Kern. One of the best coaches I know, he, I mean, he gets animated, but also what drives us is pretty much, we have a chip on the shoulder. That's our, by the fact that we want to prove the show that we're not fluke from last year. And that we have talent and we are not just a one-year wonder like Coastal was in football. All this on the men's side, what about the women's side and, and what has been the secret to the sauce of the success of the women's basketball side? When we beat Louisiana, we, all, we were missing our three best players. We beat Louisiana. We beat all these other schools that are really tough. And, I mean, Coach Angel Erickson, 
she's one of my favorite coaches. She's been there for a while and she's been building this team up for years. I feel like she got the right her recruits and she wanted and it's amazing. Well, Jacob, we we know that uh, App State is leading the league right now on both sides, so we'll see how the second half plays off. We thank you very much for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing how they are down the stretch. Yes, guys. Thank you so much, and have a good night. Thank you, guys. Well, guys, we heard all about Appalachian State. As you know, I made the pilgrimage, yes, pilgrimage again, to see our friends, the Boobcats, as they took on UTA to kick off the second half of the season there. Now, Dusty, it seems to me that you are kind of transmogrifying into a boot cat. Is this true? You're not ditching ULM for Texas State, are you? Maybe I'm losing my golden touch and, and, and going straight maroon there for, for the good okay. old Bootcats. It was great, man. It was – got to talk to T.J. Johnson, uh, Terrence Johnson, their head coach, post-game. Had a great quote from him during the game. Got to hang out talk to head football coach Jake Spatterford. He's excited about this season, but knows that the pressure's on him. There's a lot going on in Texas State, guys. <laughs> and well, it should. That's a great university. It's about time that they start stepping up. Now, you have to admit, though, this basketball season, a little disappointing right now. They, they have not lived up to being the regular season champs that they had last year. Did see hanging in the rafters. They had their banner already there. Plenty of room to add a, a, a 2022 mark to it. Sure. But so far, it seems like it's the Mountaineers to lose at the at this point. But you know what? I was looking at the standings. I was watching that South Alabama-Troy game. Did any of you catch that? Ben, did you catch any of that? I did not, but I did see the uh, the, the many post videos of uh, of the belt snatched back uh, by the Trojans uh, faithful there. So we, we know we were talking about rivalries a little bit earlier. Uh, that's tremendous and one of the hottest uh, certainly in the league. Oh, yeah. Those two teams were going at it. At one point, Troy had a 20-point lead. And, you know, it was kind of one of those moments where where the game seemed on ice. And and for whatever reason, South Alabama was just not shooting very well. I think partly it's because they're a bunch of transfer guys that just haven't played together very very often. But they ended up cutting that to a single-digit lead at the end. So there's something dangerous about South Alabama. Those guys can pour on points when they want to. But uh, I thought Troy and South Alabama both looked pretty good as teams. So I think they're two games back. Both of them are, are right now. Arkansas State, a game and a half. And then Appalachian State on top of on top right now. I think Texas State is just sort of, I think, two and a half games back. I yeah, believe. two and a half games back. And as I mentioned, great quote from, from Coach TJ following the game and, and kind of how his team attacked UTA. Yeah, we play ugly. Yeah, we're not we're not the cute team. Um, people don't want to play cute teams, you know. Uh, and what I mean by we play ugly, we do the things to you that you don't want done to you. We want to pressure you, all right? We want you to feel us, all right? We want you to accept all things that we're going to give you. Uh, so when I was a child, if I didn't want the medicine, my mother used to pinch my cheeks. And when she pinched my cheeks, she forced my mouth to open. So what we did tonight was we started settling early on in the game, and then we said we're not going to do that. All right, we're going to continue to to press on. All right, so we shoot inside out threes, and if we can shoot inside out threes, we can make a few of them. All right, and then we're going to press up the whole game. All right, we're not going to fall back. That's the that's the most aggressive defensively that we've played full court since probably since I started coaching here. 
Um, I'm okay with ugly because all W's look the same. Oh my there god, go. that was pretty graphic. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> looking at the game and how physical it was, yeah. they definitely took it to however you want to interpret that to the Mavs during that game. You know, I was watching that game, and at one point, it looked like I think early in the second quarter, it looked like UTA had the game. You know, they were they were making shots. I think they had a double-digit lead at one point. Uh, everything was coming easy for Azor. Uh, it, it just seemed to be like uh, it was the Mavericks game to win. And then something happened. Like, Texas State just flipped on the switch. Asbury started hitting those threes. Uh, they started getting into the post. What a great game for you to be at. It was great. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate the the halftime retiring of my jersey there and giving <laughs> the speech there that flipped the switch for our infamous Boobcats to be able to pick up that win on Saturday afternoon. A team that didn't get a win this past weekend, though, was Coastal Carolina as they took the sweep. It was announced, though, that that head coach Cliff Ellis was going to miss the weekend after testing positive for COVID. Found on Twitter something I didn't even know. He's the Cal Ripken of D1 college basketball. He had coached 1,346 consecutive games spanning his time at South Alabama, Clemson, Auburn, and Coastal Carolina before he missed his first career game on Thursday night. Damn, college basketball's Iron Man. Wow. Did not know that. Jeremy, I don't think you even work that many days in a row, do you? (laughs) No, hell no. Hell no. No, you know what? Coastal Carolina, they're having a great season. Yeah, and you can tell they were probably missing old Cliff uh, at the end of the game when Arkansas State ended up coming back from the end of that. Um, Didn't they beat UA Little Rock? I thought they beat Little Rock. Yeah, they split this weekend. They split the weekend. Okay, Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't give them their due, Dusty. They, They beat Little Rock. You don't want anybody thinking that Little Rock came away with a win. I mean, that's just embarrassing. I'm just knowing that and, and waiting for it for Ben to say, hey, what happened to your Warhawks there against the Panthers? <laughs> I, I know. We're just kind of dancing around that. We're not really we're not really addressing the hippopotamus in the room right now. But but Ben, it seems to me that maybe the Panthers might have finally found some of their moxie this weekend. They, they certainly figured out how to win uh, a couple games in a row, so that was good. Uh, I think the the interesting, uh, certainly starting with the rival and, and get don't get it twisted. You know, Louisiana and Georgia State cannot stand each other uh, from the old days from Ron Hunter and Bob Marlin. Um, I, you know, from reading some of the post game comments and things like that, the folks uh, certainly natives and and Lafayette are not real happy with Bobby Marlin and and, and especially them blowing another game uh, last night to Georgia Southern. Uh, as well, uh, things are not great there. But yeah, the Panthers, you know, starting to pick it up a little bit. You're starting to see uh, some of those seniors play a little bit better. Uh, what's been so wild is this team, especially their seniors, their splits on the road versus at home. Uh, some of their you know seniors are out shooting the ball very well. Corey Allen had a very good night against ULM, and they're they're one of the best teams in the nation in turning the other team over. And that's that's been uh, you know kind of what what has steadied this team and allowed it to be close. Now you need some of that shooting percentage to continue to surge and uh, still didn't shoot great uh, on Thursday night against Louisiana defense uh, certainly led the day. And uh, again, yesterday. Uh, so it's definitely get 
you know, solid to get back in the win column. And now they, the Panthers have to reload quickly. They've got Troy and South Alabama. Who we know we just talked about we're both uh, coming off wins um, in the last few days. Um, that, those are big games. Obviously, if the Panthers want to continue to climb up the standings um, and get an opportunity to, uh, to, to live up to their lofty rankings, they're going to have to do it starting this weekend uh, against Troy. So what happened to ULM, Dusty Thibodeau? Against Georgia State? Well, they opened up a 4-0 lead and then just uh, Georgia State just kind of took over. You know, like like I had mentioned earlier, I think that the lack of having a true point guard with Elijah Gonzalez going out again, just the Warhawks don't have anybody to bring the ball down. They're forcing too many shots. It's just not good basketball right now. For Louisiana, not only to take it on the chin against Georgia State, which is struggle, but then that also lose to Georgia Southern, who has really struggled this year. What's going on with the Cajuns? I did not like that Georgia Southern team. I did not see anything that really jumped out about them. I I thought that they were they played a little physical, but other than that, I I didn't think that they played very good basketball. So it was kind of surprising to see that they were able to get that sweep in Louisiana as they did. What was it that brought Georgia State over Louisiana. What was the key? You were talking about uh, turnovers, Ben, and and getting the shooting percentage back up. But why is it that Georgia State can get these two wins on the road in two very tough places, but seem to have so much trouble at home? I really don't know. It's it's uh, it's wild, right? You, you're supposed to, you know, kind of the the school of thought is that you're. Uh, you know, your, your team is more comfortable sleeping in their own bed, shooting in their own gym where they mm-hmm. play. Um, even the role players, some of the guys off the bench traditionally uh, typically play a little bit better at home than they do on the road. Uh, we haven't had that happen in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, the Panthers are still without one of their backup point guard, Evan Johnson, uh, due to the COVID protocols. He missed the road trip down there to Louisiana. Guy averages about six and a half points per game and can hit from the outside. Uh, they're still having some guys that are struggling to shoot the basketball, but uh, you've seen certainly the energy uh, improve in a tremendous uh, amount with Elias Semi, the All Sun Belt big man, uh, with another double double, um, and and at at points was dominant this weekend, uh, looking pretty strong. So um, I, I think things are slowly but surely starting to get, to come together for the Panthers. But as you guys mentioned, um, you know the the Cajuns are finding ways to lose. See, I'm looking at the box now, um, and. and they, Georgia Southern turned the ball over 23 times and shot seven for 20 from three. And somehow, some way, they still found a way out of the Cajun Dome with a dub. Yeah, it's so hard to come out of the Cajun Dome with a victory and to see that happen, not just against Georgia State, who are struggling, although we know they're talented, but against Georgia Southern, who I didn't feel is very, I think I agree with Thibodeau. Uh, they're just not very impressive. And they came away with the win, too. So, you know, there's something going on with the Cajuns. Before you got on, Ben, I was talking to, to Tibbs about overall the basketball uh, landscape for the Sun Belt, for the men's basketball landscape. And I'm judging that there's about 10 teams that could win that Sun Belt tournament. What do you think? Do you th- Earlier in the season, you said you thought it was pretty top heavy. You thought there were six teams that were good and six teams that were bad. Now that we've played about half the conference schedule, do you do you think that do you want to kind of take another step and take another look at that, or do you still feel like it's sort of a half and half conference? 
Well, I, I don't think, yeah, I think it may be, um, I think maybe less top heavy because I think we talked about Louisiana was certainly a team that I had kind of penciled in uh, as one of the you know teams that was going to kind of separate itself, be at the top tier. And it just hasn't happened uh, for a variety of different reasons. Um, and, and I think the toughest part about some of these teams, we really don't know, you know, week to week, weekend to weekend, uh, what they're going to bring to the table. And I think some inconsistencies, as we've seen, haven't really been able to to see who's who's at the top and, and credit again to App State and Arkansas State, South Alabama, uh, you know, for for kind of guiding that way and being at the top of the standings. I'm, I'm very interested to see, as I mentioned earlier, between South Alabama and Troy when they make the Georgia trips, because um, those are, you know, you, you have a potential separator there. I know App State goes and does, uh, does the Texas trip as does Coastal Carolina. Um, so we could see even more separation potentially uh, there at the top or, or is someone actually going to knock, knock off the Mountaineers? I, I think I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's about as wide open a tournament uh, as, I, as I can remember uh, really um, since certainly Georgia state joined the league in 2013, 2014 season. So um, I think it's good for the league. I think, you know, I think there's great chances for upsets. We've already seen the games are ridiculously close and it seems like from night to night, uh, you seem to have a, a one point or, or, or game winning buzzer beater or layup uh, opportunity to, to knock teams off. So I think that's uh, certainly something that, you know, will continue to be strong and, and uh, will be must must watch as we hit the stretch and February is upon us. All the talk about basketball though, guys. Yeah. We're coming up on spring football. And, and while our next guest will not be partaking in spring football per se, he just took part in the Hula Bowl, which is one of the many college all-star games that are out there as guys try to jockey to get ready for the NFL draft and make a name for themselves. Former ULM defensive end Ty Shelby, he's a two-time Sunbelt honorable mention. In addition to that, he played 30 games for the Warhawks on basketball. So we welcome in Ty to talk about getting ready to make a name for himself as he prepares for the NFL draft. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Ty. Good. How are you? Man, I'm doing good. So, Ty, take us back. How did the invitation go out for the Hula Bowl? And, and kind of talk about that experience as you got to go down there and really perform for some NFL scouts, as well as play with some other Sunbelt Conference uh, members there with Levi Lewis, Roger Carter on uh, from Georgia State as well. Uh, really, uh, I got the invite. It was right after my uh, right after Lafayette game. It was that Sunday. Uh, I just got a random call, and uh, they hit me up about uh, playing the hula bowl. And you know, I wanted to see you know how I was feeling afterwards. I was a little beat up, but uh, I thought about it, talked about it with my family, and uh, decided it was a great opportunity to you know showcase my talent. We got there about I think it was January tenth. We reported, and I say it was a great opportunity. Really. Uh, we got to showcase our abilities in front of, I think it was about over 140 NFL scouts there. Nice. I got to showcase uh, my talent in front of other uh, competitive guys, you know, University of Miami, uh, you know, North Carolina, a whole bunch of uh, guys that actually had, you know, different abilities you, instead of playing just in the Sun Belt. And so uh, really it was a great opportunity. Got to talk to a lot of NFL teams that seemed very interested and in, uh, see where this, where this uh, path takes me. No, but seriously, how was it to go in January to visit, have some time in Hawaii and not only have that sort of NFL uh, scout experience, but also to go to some places cool as Hawaii in January? Well, no, Jeremy, they, they, uh, they, have, uh, they removed it from Hawaii. It's now in Orlando. So he didn't even get to go to Hawaii. Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah they moved it to Orlando this year. So, uh, what? I really wish it was in Hawaii. 
I've but, never been to Hawaii. But wait, you you, 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 you did you get to hang out with the mouse, though, right? Oh yeah, I got to spend time with them a little bit. But you know what? Orlando is the Hawaii of the East Coast. We even we even got to uh, learn and uh, perform the haka before the game started too so uh it was a great experience <laughs> well at least they tried to bring a little bit of hawaii to florida i am so sorry i did not realize that so uh my bad on that so are you so what is the draft process like now for you so right now it's just uh nothing but training about two times a day monday through friday mm-hmm. and then a training session on saturdays um really i say every day is a grind you really try to think of you know, how to get better every day. You know, you're not trying to get complacent because if you get complacent, you know, some people try to take the, that's when people take advantage of you, take take the leap. And so really every day, you know, I wake up, how can I get better from yesterday? And, uh, it's just constant improvement. But otherwise, it, it's fun. Uh, you know, you get to meet a new, new meaning of guys, you know, a new level of training, typical from school training. Now everything is really specific movement specific you know you're trying to get your 40 down trying to get your bench press up so uh it's really interesting so what, what's been the feedback that you've gotten here initially from the hula bowl as well as your individual workouts that you've had from nfl scouts my initial feedback was uh you know i have the body type of a, a nfl player and really um they just want to see me you know display my speed my my strength my explosiveness every time and, uh, you know, talking to some scouts, they say they see me really in a, like a 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, sometimes being an outside linebacker, either dropping the coverage or either rushing the passer. And so they say I really have the body type for it. And, and coming around pro day, they're going to have me do, you know, a mix of, a, you know, hand in the dirt D-line and also be able to see if I can drop in the coverage a little bit. Hey, Ty, I know the right answer is, man, I'll take I'll play for any team that gives me the opportunity. But is there a dream team that that pops into your mind when you see yourself in the NFL? Uh, dream team, I say really, uh, I say the Texans just because it's my hometown. So yeah. uh, really, I would love to have my family around me twenty four seven if I can. Yeah, and the Texans could probably use you. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, it wasn't a good season for this year. Uh, this year, so hopefully next year they can turn it around. So Ty, I, 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 this is a little bit of a departure from the NFL and football questions. But we mentioned a little bit how you played for the Warhawks basketball. And I always wonder because I'm, I'm from Arkansas State, and every now and then we'll have a football player uh, spend some time on the roster of the basketball team. How does that happen? Does the coach just kind of come down and go, hey, I heard you had some hops. We have a position. Or do you approach the coach and go, and then what does the football coach think? So, uh, so Coach Richard approached my football coach at the time, uh, Matt Viator, saying uh, he was looking for a guy because – he, he had a 6'10 Australian dude leave to play professional overseas. And so uh, Coach V came to me saying, hey, you know, I trust you out of everybody else because, you know, you got the grades right. We know you can do it in the spring, this and that. And so, you know, I pondered over and I knew it, it would be difficult uh, with the playing time because, you know, you have all those guys on scholarship. They've been in the program way mm-hmm. longer than me. But I figured it was a great opportunity because playing two sports, you, you know, you really get to work on things you don't really get to work on a football. So, you know, explosiveness, uh, constantly moving, jumping. The conditioning was way different. I'm not going to lie to you on that. I was tired the first day. You, you can ask Coach Richard. I took myself out of drill one time because uh, you said I can. He could tell I was about to pass out from all the running. Yeah, you kind of forget how much up and down the court you have to do. And your big guy like yourself, it's probably a, it's probably a more than a, more aerobics than you're probably wanting to do, right? Yeah, I was used to, you know, uh, going in one play, 
waiting about 30 seconds for the next play happen. But when, when it came to practice the first day, I think we were moving constantly for 30 <laughs> minutes straight, no break. And I was like, yeah, I'm not used to this yet. So during your four years there at ULM, what was really the big highlight that you would say that you have, your, your biggest memory that you have? i say this year, especially the win against uh, Liberty, I say they really kind of turned turn away. Um, Coach Bowden is really turning the program around, and you can really tell that with the game from Liberty. Uh, big upset. You know, I think we're 31 points underdogs, 23 points underdogs, one of the largest wins in college football history. So uh, I say that's really the most memorable for me and the most – fun I had in a while, uh, just knowing that this program is constantly on the rise. And I know he, he will be able to get it done. I, I, I know the Cajuns is a, is a big school <laughs> rivalry, but what is one other school that you will not miss having to happen to uh, play against? I'll say uh, Arkansas State. I think yeah. within my <laughs> Arkansas State for sure. Within my five or six years, you know, playing against them. We've been close sometimes, but they always mm-hmm. got the upper hand. So I'll, I'll give it to Arkansas State. I would not miss them at all. <laughs> there have been some massive high-scoring games against ULM and uh, and, uh, and Arkansas State the last few years. So, yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, uh, we <laughs> have met, Arkansas State has managed to be on top of those, but they've always been close, hard-fought games. So uh, now that sure. you're an alum, though, of ULM, how do you see yourself kind of giving back to the university, uh, whether you, you make it into the NFL, one of the other leagues, or even you're just Ty Shelby, former Warhawk? Really, I, I see myself coming back, you know, being able to talk to the students, engage with them, either from being, you know, a student athlete or just a student, um, you know, trying to give as much knowledge as I can, you know, learning from all the professors I can. Uh, you know, I graduated with finance, so. If the NFL don't work out, I was hoping to become like an investment banker or, uh, you know, a personal advisor. So any way I can, you know, with the real world, um, how the draft process goes, anything that can actually give back to student athletes or just students will be very beneficial. Have any of the other guys kind of reached out to you? I know you played with Marcus Green, who who had a little uh, stint there in the NFL for a while. Uh, any of those guys reached out to you? I haven't talked to Marcus in a, uh, in a while, but I've talked to uh, Derek Gore, uh, Josh Johnson. Too bad for Derek right now because I just saw that they just lost. So I was, I was rooting for them the whole time. I, I really just been trying to get advice from them, seeing how, you know, the process goes. Uh, how can I separate, my, se- separate myself from competition? And so really the main thing is just like, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep fighting. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. You know, Derek was telling me, Man, I was cut three or four times before I found the right team that, you know, was able to bless me with this opportunity. So really just capitalized on uh, really capitalized on the workouts, the, uh, the individual sessions and just just keep believing in yourself, of course, uh, and all most things, because uh, you never know what can happen if you just if you don't believe in yourself. Ty, we thank you as always for for taking uh, a break there from preparing for the NFL and, and, <laughs> oh, and stopping by the Fun Belt podcast and, and talking with us about your experiences. And we'll definitely be listening for your name in April when the NFL draft comes up. I appreciate y'all for having me. So there we go, guys. Getting ready for the NFL draft. As he had mentioned, Derek Gore played at ULM after transferring in from Alabama Yeah, with the Kansas City Chiefs really making a big name for himself this year, especially late as they got ready for the postseason uh, run that they had. You never know who's going to have, who's going to be that next guy that can really step into that role and, and excel and, and make the name for them for the Sunbelt conference. And, you know, it seems to me too, that ULM always seems to have a surprise guy 
that gets into the draft. Like just guys that that show out in the combine or have, have always or the scouts have always been looking at and you just don't really like I can't tell you how many times I've written a who's going into the uh, NFL from the Sunbelt column and me completely overlooking Sunbelt or uh, ULM guys that get drafted and then do well in the NFL. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's across the board because even when Will Lutz was drafted to go to yeah. the Saints, I remember that Georgia State happened to be in town at ULM for a baseball game. And the SID was scrambling to get that story put together because that's not who they expected to be drafted. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. So it's really crazy. Well, and he, he initially got the uh, got the call from the Baltimore Ravens, you know, when Justin Tucker was holding out to be his franchise guy. And everyone kind of turned their eyes up and said, well, he's not going to make that. And uh, but, yeah, Sean Payton brought him into New Orleans and and uh, had a workout. And, and Sean Payton said it was the best kicking workout he had ever seen. So uh, shout out to Will. He uh, he, he missed this season with a uh, with with an multiple injuries, had multiple surgeries this season. So he spent time on the aisle. Uh, but uh, wishing him a speedier kicker than the NFL. But you know, between between Lutz and 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 Koo, it it seems like uh, the Sun Belt has put in some pretty good kickers lately into the into the NFL, and uh, maybe we could be known for that in some way. I'm good with having that niche. You know, as long as you you're consistently having guys go into the league and and, and sticking, and and they're not there for just that one or two games, and then cut out or they're just practice squad guys, things like that. Cause that really helps bring attention to the league. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but anytime I'm watching an NFL game, I'm always that guy that's waiting for like the team introductions, like during the game where they, they have the guys come up and they'll say, I'm so-and-so from here. And I'm so-and-so from there. I'm always looking for Sunbelt guys. And I feel like that's always a great advertisement for the, the conference or for your school when you have a guy who can say, oh, I'm from Arkansas State or I'm from Georgia State or I'm from ULM, I just feel like that's just just a nice thing to have. So I'm always looking forward to the draft. I hope Ty does a good, gets his name called in the draft. But uh, that's probably a show that we need to have pretty soon would be the next, the prospects from the Sun Belt who have the best chance of, of hearing their names called in, in April. So shifting gears, a place where the Sunbelt has really always excelled in having names called is the Major League Baseball draft. And That's this true. year is really no different. We're lumping in James Madison because they are coming into the Sunbelt, hopefully sooner than later. They actually have the number one prospect overall in what? Chase DeLauder, an outfielder, big boy, 6'4", 230, 386 batting average last year with six home runs and seven stolen bases in 26 games. He was a big-time prospect, made a big name for himself there in the Cape Cod League, which is the premier summer league there for college prospects. He could be JMU's first first-round pick since 2007. And then the 30th overall prospect, shortstop from Coastal Carolina, Eric Brown, another guy that was in the Cape Cod League, small guy but big bat. Yeah, looking forward to that. Are you one of these guys, Dusty? that actually sort of monitors the baseball draft as it happens. I know that you have a history with Houston, so you probably have a, you know, a big baseball mind. Do you find yourself fascinated with the uh, baseball draft? I've always been a prospect person, more yeah. so than who the stars are currently in Major League Baseball. I love seeing the guys that are undrafted mm -hmm. or drafted very late and low 
and seeing them work their way all the way up from the old rookie ball days all the way through AAA and then getting their major league call up. That's the stories I always love. Those are the the memorabilia, the cards that I always like collecting are those guys before they were <laughs> stars. So I do keep track of it from that standpoint that that is definitely the bigger interest point that I have in baseball. Ben Moore, do you keep track of the Major League Baseball draft? Uh, I, I do pay attention to it. Um, you know, certainly living in Georgia, uh, there's just mm-hmm. tremendous, um, you know, tremendous high school uh, uh, prospects. And, and we've seen organizations almost even shift. So I think it's an, uh, certainly an opportunity for teams in the Sun Belt uh, to grab, you know, top tier talent and show them a path, uh, certainly to, you know, Major League Baseball draft. Uh, you're seeing more and more teams who want more finished products, too. You, you want guys that have some college experience and obviously have some impact there. Uh, no, no, obviously with COVID, you shrunk the Major League Baseball draft. It looks like they are, they're going to you know, shrink that again. Um, you know, so, so you have, you know, kind of twofold. You have, you know, more opportunities for some guys to stay in college, which certainly improves the conference. And then you uh, see that top-tier talent potentially leave and, and, and go. But, yeah, with, uh, with Metro Atlanta and uh, certainly Georgia being so strong, I do keep, keep an eye on it. There's always a few uh, handful of prospects um, in, in Georgia that are, that are always mentioned. Uh, to be high pick, so I do keep an eye on that. Of course, the uh, keep keep an eye on the uh, who the world champion uh, Atlanta Braves grabs. <laughs> I always have to put a plug for the world champion Atlanta Braves. I get it, I understand. So, with baseball season coming up, Dusty Thibodeau, we should probably have a big baseball uh, podcast pretty soon. Always, and then not to be outdone, softball is also right around the corner, literally starting within the next week or two. Yeah, absolutely. The extra elite 100 <laughs> players, which is done by extra inning softball, also mm-hmm. came out. Handful of Sunbelt players on that list as well. Troy's Leanna Johnson came in at number 66. South Alabama's Olivia Lackey at 71. Texas State's Jessica Mullins at 90. And Louisiana Lafayette, Kendra Lamb at 97. Guys, we knew that this was going to be a good softball league, but this is just driving home that point. Well, you know, uh, the Sun Belt is in that sort of uh, footprint of of being able to play uh, sports like baseball and softball for longer periods of time. So it's almost natural that the Sun Belt should have a good softball community. Am I right? I mean, that's why you don't see the Mac with a great – softball history i mean the sunbelt it should be strong it should be a great baseball conference it should be a great softball conference and it's only going to get better with these teams coming in in particular james madison and old dominion i think those are two big big time programs that add to baseball as well as softball so the league's only going to get better are we sure old dominion's coming as far as i know it is i know that the big rumor mill this past week was all the presidents, chancellors, and athletic directors meeting with Ben Moore there in Atlanta? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I, was, I was tailing them, well, wanted, wanted to see where they were going out to eat lunch in my fine city. I bet it was Chick Fil A. Uh, yeah, Ben, where's the scoop? Well, well, what's interesting is everyone seems shocked by the fact that James Madison was moving forward. Uh, that was that decision actually was made in November. Because when they presented it to the uh, the border regents there in the state of Virginia, they said, yeah, that this move was going to happen. 
uh, by July 1, 2022. So uh, the cat was kind of already out of the bag, but many folks uh, reading that fine print, uh, I, I have just been fascinated by the balance and the battle, really, uh, from Conference USA. They want those exit fees. They're, they're waiting for them. Even some of the schools that are not leaving Conference USA are, are out there looking to see when folks are going. But it, it seems to be, at least for now, uh, the leaning is that, that the Conference USA teams, uh, Marshall and Southern Miss and ODU, uh, will be staying for one more season in there. But I, I think the biggest question that I have is, uh, you know, we know we're probably about a month away from the uh, Sunbelt football schedule, uh, you know, annual unveiling in March. Um what what happens, right? You you have uh, existing you know crossovers as as uh, Jared Binko told us last week. Um, you know you're not going to be basically bump the non-conference once those are set because you have contracts and things that way. Uh, what does that do to the Sun Belt scheduling? Do, do you have JMU play a half a schedule, or, or are they going to go and grab uh, just a few teams? It's going to be very interesting to see. Do you keep it regional? Do you, do you go and you say, all right, well they're going to play Coastal Carolina, App State. Um, you know, to kind of keep it on the east there where they're slated to go. So I think there's a lot of questions, and, and I don't think a whole lot of those questions were answered uh, this week in Atlanta. Yeah, you know, when 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 JMU was announced that they were just going to go ahead and, 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 and enter now, nobody seems to be, at least from the Sun Belt, seems to be acting like this is much of a logistical problem. <laughs> you know, did you get that feeling, Ben? Like pe- people are just kind of like, yeah, all right, they're they're in, but how do you make that work? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating. You know, we, especially we were talking a little bit earlier with the non-revenue sports, right? You know, you more of these ads want these bus trips. They want you know travel partners, as as most folks have gotten travel partners around the league. JMU coming in there by themselves, they're not going to have a travel partner necessarily. So uh, to see them kind of by, by themselves, it's not a super easy place to get to either. There's no major airport there. You typically are flying in and taking a bus. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see what actually happens and and uh, what happens to their existing, you know, kind of they're in between this transition year, right? We talked about it logistically. Uh, also, what does the staff do? Because they've got to move from 63 scholarships that the FCS allows to 85 scholarships at FBS. Uh, you got to have a plan for that. Certainly App State and Georgia Southern did uh, when they moved up. So uh, interested to see what the Dukes there do there as well. It, 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 there's a lot of questions to be answered. You know, the rumor mill was that everybody except for James Madison would be in and James Madison would just happen to play a heavy Sunbelt conference schedule doesn't look like that's actually going to come to fruition, though. It looks like it's going to be that one more year of kind of the lame duck in Conference USA with James Madison transitioning to be a 1A independent. But that's the move that they had to make anyway in order to join the Sun Belt in 2023. Yeah, it looked like to me, Dusty, that and, and Ben, that Conference USA, they, they sent out a statement pretty much saying, hey, we expect these guys to stay on for the, the remainder of 2022 and not leave until 2023. And they seem pretty resolute about that. Uh, but yet I'm kind of sensing that there is still a chance that these CUSA programs end up migrating to the Sun Belt uh, sooner. Do you guys feel like there's any chance at all of that happening? Never say never. <laughs> Answer to all your questions is money, Jeremy. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what happens on the financial side of things. 
Well, since I've never had any money, of course, I can't understand that. You have checks. You have money. Yeah, I've bounced a few. Plugs, promos, parting shots. What do you have there for us, Ben? Yeah, uh, with, with the win, the uh, the recent winning streak from basketball, there's a little, a little glimmer of optimism again. Uh, not, not so angry uh, on our site, uh, previewing that. And as uh, Dusty and I know, this used to be a national holiday, right? The first Wednesday in February, used yeah. to, uh, a day off work, a uh, lot locked in and focused and, and seeing who the, na- the latest uh, crop of signees would be for your favorite school. Um, that's not the case really anymore, as we know, with the early signing period. But there's still folks that are their scholarships still out there and folks uh, still looking and, of course, you know, monitoring the transfer portal. So. Uh, we're covering recruiting, and and uh, also the 2023 offers are flying every direction as the staff is pelting the state of Georgia right now. So all, all over it, over here at Pantatot.com, and uh, looking forward uh, to a big week. Yeah, Hellraiser.com. Uh, I believe that Arkansas State is trying to put together a, a fairly big uh, uh, National Signing Day brouhaha on the third. So I might be in Jonesboro for that. And then for the next day, we entertain uh, Thibodeau's second favorite basketball team, ULM Warhawks. So I'll probably stay for that and, and be firsthand to see, check out uh, their, uh, the, this, this underperforming Warhawks team and see how they do. So yeah, uh, war, uh, the, the, uh, uh, that how razor will be on hand and look out for the stories. Oracleport.com, as you said, it is National Signing Day coming up. Kind of a flop of National Signing Day for ULM with the limited scholarships expected to be used more so for transfers over the summer. So not really an exciting time like it typically is for National Signing Day. Ben, we'll do our best to recap the Sun Belt across the league next week for top signees at all the programs as we do celebrate that a little late, belated on Fun Belt Podcast. Other net guys, Sam Marcus, once again, rolled out the maroon carpet. It was fantastic. Love the school. Love the downtown area with the bars, restaurants. Viva la Boobcats. Viva la Boobcats. <laughs>